Our scripture lesson came from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, the 6th chapter and the 22nd through the 27th verse. And it reads as thus. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Every week, I lead what is known as a spirituality group with some of the patients at the Behavioral Health Center. The patients, they have varying levels of acuity that deals with mental illnesses, and the purpose of these group sessions that I lead, which has maybe 10 to 15 participants, is to help them see that their personal spirituality can be used as a source of strength in their own healing and recovery. In these sessions, I discuss various topics with the patients, topics such as hope, positive thinking, grief, how to deal with grief, things of that nature. And in one of my sessions, I happen to be discussing the topic of forgiveness. Now, when I was doing giving the topic, I noticed that one of the patients was listening but was having a hard time buying what I was selling about forgiveness. Sometimes when this happens, I, I prefer for the good of the group that people like that excuse themselves from the group so that I can focus on the ones that want to be there. In other words, if you don't want to be a part of the group, right, I prefer if you excuse yourself and leave because why would you want to be here anyway? So without knowing this patient's issue or his story, I looked away from him. I looked away from him, literally ignoring him, so that I can focus on those that want to participate. As the group discussion went on, this patient decided he had something he wanted to say. He went on to tell the group that when he was born, his parents wanted a girl. So his father decided now that he was going to fix him cutting and mutilating his private parts. Realizing the horror, the mom decided she was going to now reattach his member. And as you can well imagine, he could not possibly live a normal life. When I met this patient and he told his story, he was about 65 years old. And he was having a hard time buying what I was selling about forgiveness. My reason for telling you this story is because I really want to ask you a question. When you look around at the people who populate this broken and hurting world, how do you see them? Do you, do you look away because they may not necessarily be on your agenda? 
I'm talking about the down and outers, the, the dirty, the, the homeless, those who burden society with their needs and their woes. Is there disgust in your gaze? Do you place labels on them as losers? Do you immediately assume that their plight is probably because of poor choices and mistakes that they have made, so maybe they deserve what they've got coming to them? I don't know. But like I said, like me, are you trying to look away because you had your own agenda? How do we see people outside of our world of acceptance? Or do we even see them at all? Well, today I want to talk about how God sees us. And with our text as a foundation, I have titled this sermon quite simply, The Gaze of Grace. The Gaze of Grace. Let's pray. Father, we've come now to the preaching hour. Bless now this time. Open up our ears and our hearts and our minds to see your word. And to see as you see. Bring new illumination to this text that is so familiar and so common. And bless our time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When a human baby is born, the, the self-conception actually begins in the gaze of their mother. Dr. Lizzie Byrne de Geer states that by a mother holding an infant in her arms and taking the baby in with her gaze, the act offers the newborn its first opportunity for self-reflection. Child psychiatrist D.W. Winnicott called this crucial gaze mirroring and suggests that the first mirror a child has is with his or her mother's face and that this mirroring gaze is the precursor to all of their emotional development. In other words, when a mother first looks in the eyes of her child, her gaze begins a process of healthy emotional development. I didn't know that, but think about it. You can see it. Neurological research, I'm telling you the truth, neurological research shows that the infant's focus is predisposed. In other words, this is something very natural. The infant's focus is predisposed to finding the mother's face while nursing, locking their gaze into the mother's eye, which is a brainstem reflex action and its strongest in their earliest days. Just as the human infant emerges from the womb with the instinct to latch on to the breast of its mother. So there is an innate impulse to latch on to the mother's face with his or her own eyes. The child wants to see the face of the mother because that point now begins the process of their emotional development. In other words, there is something about the gaze of a mother. We know this has real significance because many of us can probably remember making our mothers so upset that they would sometimes tell us they can't even look at us right now. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You've had that experience, right? Where, where your mom is like, 
I'm so mad, I can't even look at you right now. You, You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about her instinctively knowing that there is a power in the gaze. In the very same way, the person who seeks favor in the eyes of someone else acknowledges a certain dependence upon the one who bestows what I have chosen to call the gaze of grace. It's like I see you. And to look at you as a person is in a way affirming your dignity as a human being. It's the reason why we've got homeless people on the street and sometimes people step over them. Why? Because you don't see them. And when you don't see them, it's almost, it would have been better if they had been just a piece of paper or cardboard. They don't exist. Looking at people, gazing into their eyes, ascribes to them a dignity of personhood. Grace in the Old Testament, Hebrew Bible, the word for it is hayin, hayin. And this notion of receiving grace or being favored is to be had in a very specific relational manner. Grace is to be found in the eyes of someone else. For example, When we read in Genesis, the 6th chapter and the 8th verse, if you're familiar with it, you will hear things like Noah found favor or hayin in the eyes of the Lord. In Genesis, the 39th chapter and the 4th verse, when Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, he finds hayin or grace in the eyes of his master. You know what I'm talking about. In the book of Ruth, the 2nd chapter and the 10th verse, Ruth finds favor or haying in the eyes of Boaz while working his fields. And in Exodus, the 11th chapter and the 3rd verse, and I'm just giving you these scriptures so that you have a frame of reference, the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. In other words, there's something about the grace coming in the sight of someone else. Each of the 45 instances in the Bible which the word haying appears it it, it lets us know that number one, it's through the gaze of another. And secondly, it's by one who has power over the other. So you with your authority as a father or as a mother over others, understand that your gaze has power when you see the child. I remember John Q, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but his son uh, had a heart condition. And his son was playing baseball. And when when his son hit the ball, the first thing he said, did you see me, dad? How many of our young people wish, want, yearn, long to be seen by their fathers or mothers? Just to have the gaze of grace bestowed upon them. I see you is telling them something about how you feel about them. To ignore someone is probably one of the worst things you could do to a person. And so there is something to be said about receiving grace or favor from the gaze or the look from someone else. I hope you're tracking with me. Now, Now to drive this point home a little bit further, I don't know about you, but have you ever had someone just stare at you? Now, now, Now here's what's interesting about that. It drives some kind of emotional response, Mother Andrea, if someone is just staring at you. You know, it, it causes you to have an emotional response. Now, here's the thing. If you think they're cute, you like it. <laughs> if they're cute, stare. Oh, is it my hair? Is it, you know, you like my swag? You know, you like the suit? I'm, I don't know. If you think they're cute, the stare is okay. 
But if you think they're creepy, it's a whole different story. I don't want you gazing at me if I think you're creepy. But the point is, there is something about a gaze that can have an impact on you depending on who is looking at you. Are you with me? Who is looking at you? And I like to flip it. With your authority, who are you looking at? So our text says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons. Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. This is what God is saying to Moses to tell Aaron. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. This passage is most commonly known as the Aaronic or the priestly blessing. You hear it all the time, sometimes at the end of some service, and I do it here pretty often. It's called the Aaronic blessing. The Aaronic blessing is actually used by the priest of God to pronounce God's blessing on the community of the Israelites. To be clear, Yahweh, or God, commands Aaron and his sons so that the, these Levitical priests, these folks, they are to bless the Israelites, and in so doing, Yahweh, or God himself, he will indeed bless them. He says, and I will then bless them. Now, now, now the manner of the blessing is, is given almost like a poetic style. You can see it, right? But there are three parallel invocations. Here is, namely, the first part refers to what we call posterity, the gift of land and safety. This is when the Israelites were getting ready to take the promised land that this, that this blessing was bestowed upon them. You see, you see this phrase? Keep you, you see it right there in verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. A better translation would actually be the Lord bless you and protect you. Because as they were getting ready to take the land, there's a lot of people that was going to come against them. So sometimes when you're getting ready for a, a battle or a spiritual battle, when the priest pronounces blessings upon you and he says the Lord bless you and the Lord protect you, what he's doing is he's shielding you for what is yet about to happen. Sometimes you don't know when you're going into a struggle. And so church Sundays, service after Sundays, when we pronounce the benediction, we're giving you the blessings of God that's going to protect you for the battles that you're going to face during the week before you come back to the assembly again. So the Lord bless you and protect you. That's the first part. The second part says the, is where God says now God's face does what? Shine upon the Israelites as they receive his grace. And then the third part kind of picks up the second part a little bit and it repeats the imagery and it says that God's ultimate blessings to his community will be his shalom or his peace. This pattern, I want you to stay with me. This pattern, it, it, it's specifically designed to let us know that the Lord God and him only is the source of any and all blessings that the people are to receive. I want you to understand that, brothers and sisters. God and God alone is the source of your blessings, whatever blessings you may need. And ultimately, when God blesses you, it's designed. 
by, it is by design to get you to the place of peace. Shalom. I love it. Where it's emphasized in the last, in the 27th verse, where it says, So they shall invoke who? My name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. That I is emphatic. In other words, God is saying, make no mistake about it. When blessings come in your lives, do not fail to believe that it's only coming because of anything else but me. God and God alone is who provides blessings to every one of us. Now, 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 now here's my point. The authority to pronounce blessings on the people would only come through the priesthood ordained by God with the expressed knowledge that it was God and God alone who was blessing the people. Now, I said, that, I said a lot of words right there, but I want to make sure you understand. God is a God of order. And it is unfortunate that we live in a day and an age where too many people are walking around making pronouncements of blessings with no formal authority to do so. With internet access and a credit card, you can purchase any degree online. And within a few weeks, you can be ordained apostle, reverend, minister, bishop, whatever you want, without having done anything, making any sacrifices worthy of such a high calling. And it further saddens me, saddens me that there are so many people that have followed these imposters who, who have gone so far as to allow people like these to lay hands upon them without recognizing that sometimes the blessing that they think they are receiving is not what they're really getting. I'm not trying to, 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 to pass judgment on people who like to give themselves titles. People can do whatever they want. That ain't my charge. But, but God has not changed his ways. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So be very careful about the credentials of those that claim to be of the priesthood of God. Satan is the great deceiver. And if he can get away with you thinking that you're being blessed without your knowledge of the truth, then he has won a certain victory. Jehovah blesses his own by himself. And this is expressly done by his servants. The priestly blessing was established by God where the responsibility of the sons of Aaron, that is to say the priests who were ordained by God, were the only ones authorized to transmit this blessing of God. I want you to hear me. So be very careful who is laying hands or speaking words of pronouncements over you. Now, for the purpose of this message, as I get ready to close it up, because I want to make sure you get the point, for the purpose of this message, it is really the second and the third part of that blessing that I kind of want to latch on, the 25th and the 26th verses. Those are the two that I want to kind of pull out of the text today. It says, the Lord make his face shine on you. Isn't that what it says? And be gracious unto you. It says, the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you Peace. That's what it said in those two verses. This is what I call the gaze of grace. Let me explain. Beginning with the 25th verse, the face of God, the
The face of God is a reference to his personality that is turned towards man. God's face shines. Why? Because it is a fire that goes out from Jehovah's face. And fire, we know, does two things. Number one, it consumes the enemy and the rebellious. And secondly, secondly, it is sunlight shining with love and full of life and goodness. So, so if the light of the sun as we go outside on a, on a nice day is sweet to us, then you can only imagine what the light of the face of God does to the spirit. It is sweet. And so, and so when we recognize that God's face shines like the light of love for those who are willing to accept his grace, then my brothers and my sisters, what I'm saying to you is that God has found you favorable. Wow. The second part, the second part is seen in verse 26. Now, now I want you to stay with me. Here now we see it says the Lord is doing what? Lifting up now his countenance on us. The word countenance actually literally means face, but we want to understand it more as, 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 as facial expression. Like if you said something to someone and they're not too pleased with you and they do this. You can tell from their countenance that something is not right. But if you say something and they're happy with you, they're like this. Their facial expression becomes their countenance. And so, and so it, now we, we've seen this word countenance before, haven't we? When you go to the book of Genesis, the fourth chapter, here's, and I'll read it for you just so we have context. It says, so it came about in the course of time that Cain, remember Cain and Abel? Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Watch this. The Lord looked with favor, looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? This is what God says in the text. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Do you see? We, what I'm trying to show you is God looked with favor on Abel. Looked with favor. In other words, God gave Abel the gaze of grace. He looked with favor on Abel and gave him the gaze of grace. But Cain's countenance, his facial expression, showed that he did not get the gaze of grace. So his countenance fell. When God looks upon you favorably, he's literally lifting up his face towards you. And he gives you the gaze of grace. It is a blessing. That means God's facial expression is just as emotionally satisfying as that mother's gaze upon her newborn child. It's the same gaze of grace. It is a warmth of love and adoration that words cannot fully express or convey, but offers a sense or a feeling of joy unspeakable. What? 
what it worth, what rather is it worth to you to have the gaze of grace from our Heavenly Father. The corollary and the sad part about all of this is found in the hiding of the face. This becomes a picture of divine disfavor or worse, a withdrawal of support from God. For God to have to turn his face away from you is one of the worst things that could ever happen to a human being. And this is precisely what happened to Jesus on Calvary's cross. You see, all through Jesus' life, he did everything that the Father asked him to do. Jesus tells us that nothing I do or everything I do, I do what the Father has told me to do. Jesus lived his life, really, the heartbeat and the pulse of his heavenly Father. But when he who knew no sin became sin for us, because God is holy and God cannot look at anything unholy, when Jesus hung on that cross, God the Father turned his gaze away from the Son. And the Son, for the first time in his life, didn't know what, knew what it was to not have the gaze of grace. And it was so painful, so excruciating, that he cried out these immortal words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus lost the gaze of grace for the first time in his life. But this is not where the story ends. You see, three days after his death, Jesus would rise again from the grave. And the Bible tells us that there was a great earthquake and the stone was rolled away. And there was a light that shines. A light, the same light I believe that shone when God from Genesis said, let there be light. And there was light. And when Jesus marched out of that tomb, he was restored with the gaze of grace. And, and here's the best part. You and I, we were all born in sin. And we're all shaped in iniquity. We are not worthy for God's grace to be upon us. We are not worthy for God to look upon us. But because of what Jesus did, we can receive the God's gaze of grace. Because Jesus did for us what none of us could do for ourselves and we can now receive God's gaze of grace because of Jesus. The Bible says God now will look upon you because when he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his son. So the priest ordained by God when he pronounces God's favor on the people he was given the specific formula that foreshadows the cross. This is a beautiful prayer of blessing. 
It is just like the Lord's Prayer. Whenever you get into those places where you feel like God is not with you, when you get into that place where you feel like you're on your own, when you get into that place where you feel like you've got nothing to offer and nothing to give, then I want you to remember that you came to church on a Sunday and the priest of God ordained by God from the foundation of the earth with all authority, he turns to the priest. He turns to the priest and he says, speak to Aaron and his sons. You should say to them thus, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance, meaning he is smiling at you. And he gives you his shalom, his peace. And watch this. So that they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, you and me, and I then will bless them. Is God's face shining on you? You need to know that it is God and God alone that blesses his people. It is God and God alone that protects his people. It is God and God alone that can look on them with favor, making his face shine towards them. It is God and God alone that can be gracious to his people. It is God and him alone who can give you and me his peace. So the Aaronic blessing, this priestly blessing, gives us God's commitment to all of you and to me. A commitment which promises security, prosperity, and general well-being. This is why the Christian can say, because I am blessed by God, it is well with my soul. We can say that with power and authority because God's word will not return to him void. So I say to Christians all the time, you can come to the worship service late and miss the praise and worship. You can come to the worship service late and miss the doxology. You can come to the worship service and miss the call to worship. You can come to the worship service and miss the reading of the scripture. You can come, Jesse, to the worship service and miss the offering. You can even come to the worship service and miss the preaching of the word. But when you come to the worship service, do not leave without the benediction. For the battle is not yours. But you need to know that unless God is fighting for you, these words mean absolutely nothing. So you can take all the risks you want. 
But my brothers and my sisters, I have studied. I have trained. I've been through the fire and I've done all that God has asked of me as his servant to do. I am the least in this church. I humble myself before a holy God. And when those bishops laid hands on me, I cried like a baby because I knew that the burden for the soul was going to be one that I could not carry myself. And God reminded me in those moments, take heart. My burden and my yoke is easy because I know where you are going. So I'm standing here. And I want to be clear to every person in the church. I'm not speaking on my own accord, but I'm speaking to you in the very same way as God spoke to my heart. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. And by God, Yahweh, Jehovah, Elohim, El Shaddai, he gives you his peace. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.